0: It's worth. If your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter number 18, if you are following our Bible reading schedule, you know this was on our list for this week. I kind of read ahead a little bit and then I go backwards just a little bit. And uh, this has been a truth that um, has been on my heart. I'm preaching a message this morning entitled The Greatness of Forgiveness. The Greatness of Forgiveness. We're going to see that there, it's a coin. It has two sides to it. There's the greatness of God's forgiveness to us, something we should never get over, something that we should never take for granted. The flip side of that is the greatness of our forgiveness towards one another, and that is something that we should never, ever forget. In our text this morning, if you'll back up just a little bit, the Savior had a teaching in verse number 15. Uh, And he's talking about the very real reality that uh, we live in a sin-cursed earth and people do wrong, don't they? Not us. Other, Other people do wrong. But people do wrong and he's talking about how to do it. Uh, Somebody has uh, done something wrong. He doesn't say go and find other people to tell it to you. Just go to that person alone and you try to mend that relationship and that won't happen. And he doesn't want to change or she doesn't want to change. Take a a, a couple more people, one or two, and and, uh, see if that works. And if he just adamant that he's going to live in sin, then uh, the church decides, look, you can't be a part of us if you're going to continue that way. From there, Jesus moved on and started talking about prayer and the importance of, uh, of prayer and, and, and the strength of prayer. Uh, uh, look at verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree, on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. There's strength in numbers, and that comes to prayer. That's why I always say how many have a burden, and I want you to see the hands that go up. I want you to join in that if you have one, and we pray one for another. Um, we don't have to know necessarily what the need is, but it helps me just to know that people are praying for me. Uh, A wonderful promise of the power of prayer. And So the Lord has has sort of moved along, but Peter didn't. Peter got stuck on that whole forgiving and, 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 and stuff like that. So verse 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times. Have you ever wondered why Peter picked that number? well it was the teaching of the jewish doctor of the law doctors of the law in that day that you only had to forgive a person three times on the fourth time and thereafter you no longer had to forgive him to try to support that uh, their verse was amos chapter 2 verse 6 you don't have to turn there for sake of time where it says thus saith the lord for tr- three transgressions of israel and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So in their mind, four was the magic number with God that once you you sin four times, then that's it. God doesn't forgive you, so we don't have to either. By the way, that's not what God was teaching there at all. Uh, but that's how they took that. Well, Peter, trying to be maybe a little more magnanimous in that, upped the number to seven times. You know, kind of like two and a half times more. So, Lord, if I forgive seven times, is, is that all i got to forgive that person? And it must have really come as a shock to Peter when Jesus upped the number. Look at verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, But until 70 times seven, you math majors, how much is that? 490 times. By the way, if you're still keeping score at 489, waiting for 490, you got a big problem on your hands. And Jesus put it way up there. Can you just see Peter's jaw dropping a little bit? Um, See, human nature is such that when, when we're wronged, Uh, We we take it to heart, and sometimes we are wrong deeply. You know, sometimes it's just somebody cutting us off in traffic, and sometimes it's much deeper than that. And there are definitely scars and hurt and pain. And I do not minimize even a little bit uh, what some individuals may be going through in the course of life. Um, But uh, you know, our idea is, well, they deserve they deserve my hatred, they deserve my wrath, they deserve this, that, and the other thing and Jesus said you just keep on forgiving and you just keep on forgiving and he didn't he didn't put any disclaimers you know on that he didn't put some loopholes into it until 40 times or I'm trying to uh, 70 times 7 that, that that must have seemed hard in the gospel of Luke the savior taught something very very similar he said it is impossible but that offenses should come and and so forth. And he talked about this same matter of forgiveness. And the disciples' immediate response is, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. They were the men that traveled with him for three and a half years. They heard Jesus teach more things than are written in the Bible. Uh, I mean, they were eyewitnesses to the miracles. Some of them were eyewitnesses to his transfiguration on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Some of them were in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, the the Peter that is in our text today. They were were in that inner circle, and when he talked about forgiveness, he said, we don't have enough faith for that. Increase our faith. And uh, his response is, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed. He used that example of the mustard seed five times in the Gospels. We think it takes an enormous superpower to be able to forgive, and Jesus said it shouldn't. It should be as small as a grain of mustard seed for you. So then Jesus, helping Peter, helping the other apostles standing there that day, and because it's in the Word of God helping us today, launched into a parable. And notice what he says, the kingdom, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven, likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that they had, and payment to be made. Again, we're talking about the greatness of forgiveness. In the first half of his parable, he wanted those disciples to understand the greatness of God's forgiveness of our debt, God's forgiveness of our sin. Would you notice the magnitude of our debt as it's described here? This man owes his Lord, the Bible says, 10,000 talents. A talent was a measurement of wealth. It could have been gold or silver, uh, that type of thing. But generally in in Roman days, a talent uh, was used to describe a a sum of gold, 10,000 talents. I Googled this trying to figure out, so in today's money, how much would 10,000 talents be? There are probably people in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, this is a rhetorical statement, okay, that may have $10,000 in credit card debt. Um, and that seems uh, insurmountable uh, to pay it back, especially at 21% interest, you know, that type of thing. Um, what's 10,000 talents? In today's currency, hold on to your horses here, that is $2 billion million. Yeah, that's making Elon Musk a poor guy. That's emptying the coffers of many of the billionaires in our world today. $2,250,000,000. This man owes that much. I don't know how he racked up that. I don't know if he was stealing from his boss I don't know if he was entrusted to invest a certain amount of his his boss's money in in the marketplace or in business or whatever it is, and he lost it. But all of a sudden, he comes two and a quarter billion dollars short, and he's in debt, and he owes that legitimately to his master. If that's not enough, we find out his complete inability to pay it back. Um, The Bible says for as much as he had not to pay... He, he, there was nothing he could do. He, he couldn't come up with those kind of resources. He is in a terrible place. And the master uh, very justly said, okay, here's what's going to happen. You and your wife and your children and everything you own is going to be sold to pay on that debt. By the way, that still undoubtedly would not have been enough. Unless that guy, you know, had mansions all over the place worth millions of dollars, it, it, it wasn't going to happen. That man was totally helpless. He was in a debt that he owed, but he could not pay. The Savior is talking about this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Would you understand, spiritually speaking, that's what we are like before our God. God did not create us to sin. God created us to have fellowship with him. When Adam decided that he would rather have a piece of fruit than his relationship with God, and he willfully defied the commandment of God, Adam became a sinner. For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, for that all have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we understand that as he is a holy God, we are not a holy people by birth and by nature. Turn, if you would, to a couple passages with me. Ephesians chapter 2. This has been referenced several times in the last couple of weeks. Brother Matt, last Sunday evening, uh, uh, references I did on Wednesday night, but again this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, in you, he quickened. That word quickened means brought back to life. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Our sins put a wall between us and God. It, put, it puts a spiritual wall uh, between us and the life that is only found in God. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. It's what the world does. We get upset sometimes when we read the news and we see the terrible things that go on in our culture. Some of the things that our society today is labeling as fine and good and noble. And if you take a stand against those things, you are the one that is somehow hateful and corrupt and wicked and so forth. Um, and we get upset about that, but that's the course of this world. That's the way they walk. The truth of the matter is if we didn't know Jesus as our Savior, we'd probably be agreeing with all, a, a lot of that stuff. Um, he said, that's what we were. According to the prince of the power of the air, we weren't following Christ. We might have thought we were, but we were doing our own thing and we were sinning against God, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Understand, that's where we are. That's the enormity, the magnitude of our debt before God. And it, it, in, in our inability to pay it, it is beyond our, our grasp. Uh, we, we think, well, I'll join a church and that'll get rid of my debt. No, all I am is a, a, a church member who's a sinner. Well, I'll get baptized, that'll get, get rid of my sin. No, with the water, baptism doesn't wash away sin. The only thing that can do that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary, First John chapter number one. Uh, well, I'll turn over a new leaf and I'll try to do better. That is a good thing, but it doesn't erase everything that's already been done in the past. Uh, I owe a debt that I can't pay and neither can you and it's an enormous, it's an enormous debt. We need to understand that. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans is the doctrinal uh, book of the Bible. They all contain doctrine, but this is about the doctrine of salvation. And Paul establishes in the first three chapters how that we're all sinners, whether we're Jew or Gentile. We may try to do right, but we don't always do right. We've all sinned. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. In, in, uh, in the subsequent chapters, beginning chapter 4 through 6, he started talking about that penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at verse number 6 as, as Paul is writing. For when we were yet without strength. Strength to do what? Strength to save ourselves. Strength to dig ourselves out of this spiritual sin debt that we owed God. When we were yet without strength, the Bible says, Christ, in due time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Now, we don't like to have that word attached to us, but without Christ, that's what we were and that's what we are. Uh, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by nature. We've used the illustration often, we've never had to teach our children how to do wrong. We've never had to teach them how to say no. We've never had to teach them how to fight with each other. We've never had to teach them how to lie, have we? It just comes naturally out of them. And, and we're bewildered. And we say, why are they like that? It's Because they have our DNA uh, in their body. And that's the way that we are. That, and, 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 uh, And and because of that, we can't save ourselves. In due time, though, Christ died for the ungodly. He died in our place. He doesn't die on the cross because he did wrong. He died on the cross because we did wrong. And you and I need to just sit back and let that sink in just for a little bit. Paul helps us understand how wonderful, amazing that is. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. We've all heard the stories of heroism where a soldier in the battlefield will sometimes there'll be a live grenade or a mine or something like that, and a soldier in order to protect the the, the rest of his team will fling himself onto the grenade and allow himself to die so that his his, his uh, brothers in arms will be saved, or somebody will jump in front of the target of a uh, of an assassination and take the bullet for someone else and we ad- we admire such heroism he said Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. but God commendeth his love toward us, that stuff that, that love that Rob or I'm sorry Adam just sang about, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatness of being forgiven, two billion. million in debt. And they're back in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew. He had nothing to pay. Verse 26 the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Put me on a payment plan. Show me how to work it off. I I grew up in a Presbyterian church on the hillside, et cetera, a hillside in rural Pennsylvania right on Route 66 north of Catanning. I was there until I was 14 years of age in that church, and you've heard me tell the story. I, you think kids don't listen in church, but this one did, at least that one Sunday, as the minister stood and held out his arms with that black robe. and He said, when we stand before God, God will have a scale. On one side, he's going to place all of our good deeds, all of our good works, and on the other side, everything we've ever done wrong, every thought, every deed, every action. And whatever side is the heaviest determines whether we go to heaven or hell. Vibrant illustration struck terror into the heart uh, of, of this man when I was but a child of the fourth or fifth or sixth grade. Never forgot it even to this day. I can still see him in, in every feature of his face and his hair and, and his expression and that, that black robe and those hands out there. Vibrant illustration, but totally anti Bible. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I can do all the good works that I want. The scale's always going to tip this way because I'm a sinner. And I'm not saved by my good works, for by grace are ye saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." No one will be in heaven someday because they gave a lot of money or they were a great philanthropist or they, they gave their lives on the mission field or they did this, that, or the other thing. The only people in heaven are sinners who were saved by the grace of God, who understood that as sinners, Jesus Christ was our only hope and they came to him for salvation based on his death death burial and resurrection that is the gospel message and this man seeing he had nothing to pay he's down before him said lord uh, help me pay it off Tell, just give me patient i'll pay thee all verse 27 then the lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt he didn't put him on a plan- payment plan He didn't put him on a work release program. He forgave him the debt. He just got his ledger out and just crossed out the amount owed and just wrote in there, paid in full. Paid in full. When Jesus was hanging on the cross just before he gave up the ghost and died, of the seven statements that he made while on the cross, one of his final ones was the phrase, it is finished. And he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. In the Greek language, that word is the word to tetelestai. And it it isn't the the idea of being conquered, I give up, I've lost, it's all over. It, It was the victory cry. It was the cry after an army had won a battle and they'd send a messenger back to the capital city to report on the fact that the battle is won. He would come up to the gates and crying as loud as he could, Tetelestai, Tetelestai, it is finished and we have won. Amen. It is the same word that in the banking world of that day, if you owed a debt and it was finally paid off, the word Tetelestai would be written over the account, paid in full. Paid in full. When Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins, lock, stock and barrel. It was the last and the only sacrifice that is needed for sin. Hallelujah. It's it's done. It's paid. That is the greatness of forgiveness. All of the debt. He didn't cross off most of it. He crossed off $2,250,000 worth of debt. Do you not wish that your credit card company would do that? Or your mortgage lender. Could you imagine to be completely debt free in our culture as it is today? What a sigh of relief. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ saves us, he forgives us that completely? Absolutely that completely. Listen to what the Bible has to say here. We read in Ephesians what we were before we got saved. It goes on to say, but God, who is rich. In mercy. Think of that, rich in mercy. He doesn't dole his mercy out with an eyedropper. He's rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, the Bible says, he, the Lord, will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our Iniquities. That means he'll conquer our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The ocean at its deepest part is said to be over two and a half miles down. There's no submersible that can carry a human being down that far. Scientists are still trying to figure out what lives in those ocean depths. And Mikey used the illustrations that that's how far away. God buried your sins. Isn't that incredible? Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Did you know if you start going east, you'll never run into the west? If you go west, you'll never run into east. They just keep going and going and going into infinity. And God said, that's how far he's taken your sins away. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. We need to just take a little bit of time this morning, and I think from time to time to just step back and say, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Yes, yes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And and without Christ, that's all I'd ever be. I'd be lost and undone. But it's it's it, it, it's all paid for. Tell us, It is finished. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I'm at that age where I don't remember things well. If it is not written down, it is not remembered. I don't know how many times I walk out of my study into the outer office and I need to ask one of the secretaries something or I need to get something, and by the time I get there, I'm just kind of looking around blankly with try I trying to put a smile on my face like I know where I am and what I'm doing, and I have no idea why I came. Is anybody else in my world? Oh, I'm glad that we're not alone. We've got, and I'm in good company. Uh, I I don't remember a lot of things and we we forget important things sometimes, but isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that we can remember how somebody wronged us like it was yesterday? Now that's with our faulty memories. That's with our limitations. Imagine a God who is omniscient. Do you understand? He knows everything about us. He knows everything that we hope nobody else ever finds out that we try to hide, but he knows knows all of it. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows our words before we say them. And yet that God has chosen to forgive us so completely that he remembers our sins and iniquities no more. They won't be brought up. They won't be brought up. Man would like to have us live in guilt forever for whatever wrongdoing that we may have done against him. But that's not God. This man, this this servant in the story who owed this incredible debt found himself with incredible mercy. That's us. That's us. If you're saved today, that is you. That is what God did for you. Everything that this man just sang about the love of God is our reality because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because we're Baptist or church members or this, that, or the other thing. It's because of Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the greatness of God's mercy for us. But we're going to flip the coin over as the Savior does. How does that mercy translate into our relationship with each other? Verse 28, but the same servant, the one that just got forgiven of a $2,250,000 debt. It's not that he's going to pay it back slowly. He doesn't have to pay it back at all. pay It's paid in full. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. He didn't just grab his arm and say, "Hey, come here, I need to talk to you." He took him by the throat. I, I would do that with Brother Rob as an illustration, but I can't reach that high. Um, That—that's a violent action. I mean, that's indicating a tremendous amount of anger. Um, and he—he he took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me that thou owest." It's a—it's a debt of a hundred pence. Now, lest we think that that is just. Uh, you know, a pittance. You know, it's some small amount. I I looked up a hundred pence what it would be in modern currency today. It's a debt of about eleven thousand seven hundred thirty three dollars. It's in that in that ballpark. So he he owes him a bit. How many of you could use eleven thousand seven hundred thirty three dollars today? Any anybody like that? You know, you you could probably buy a lot. That's that's a that's a pretty good sized debt. Nothing like two billion two hundred and fifty million, but now he's got somebody that owes him a hundred pence. Grabs him by the throat, saying, "Pay me that thou owest." Verse twenty nine: His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all." Boy, does not that sound familiar? Isn't that what the first guy said to his master in verse twenty six? "Lord, have patience with me." And I will pay thee all. That's exactly what this second guy says in verse 30. And he, the guy that had just been forgiven of 10,000 talents, would not. There was zero compassion. He forgot what he had just literally just been forgiven of. He said, no way. You owe me. You pay me. You pay me now. He would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Question, how is he going to pay the debt if he's in prison? Maybe they made license plates for chariots or wagons, you know, at 10 cents a day. How is he going to pay off $11,733 in prison? He's not. He's not going to be able to do it. So he, he's already cast him into prison. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Word got around that this first guy, the master, had wiped out that massive debt. And Then they watched what he did to one of the other employees. They saw him dragged off into prison. There was zero mercy present. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That was the teaching the Savior was getting across to his disciples. You have been forgiven of every sin that you ever have or ever will commit. It's done. It's done. Here's somebody that sinned against you, and he's not saying it wasn't a big deal. He's not saying it was nothing like a little tiny scratch. $11,733 is a big deal. He's saying, but you've been forgiven of so much more. Shouldn't you have had compassion and pity on your fellow servant? The Bible says, his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Forgiveness. Jesus said it is impossible, but that offenses should come. Yesterday I When I did some visitation, I had to come back to the church and pick something up, and then I had uh, another appointment uh, with a preacher and his wife uh, in in Wallingford on the other side of town, and I was traveling up Route 5, and uh, you've heard of road rage? I got to see some, (laughs) and it wasn't me, but I got to see some. Traffic, for some reason, was a little snarled. On 5. there's one place where two lanes going north merge into one, and for some reason, it was, it was almost at a standstill, and you, you heard some horns honking and, and never did really find out what it was going on. But I got through the, the, the crush and so forth, and when it went into two lanes, and we came to a red light, and there was a little red car in front of me. And as, as we stopped at the red light, this guy, he got out of his car. I mean, he almost uh, flung his door to where it looked like it might fly off its hinges he opened such force his fists are in the air and he's running up to this little black car in front of him turns out there was a a a young lady driving that she took off and she was in the, the front of the line she made a right hand turn at the light as quickly as she could you know and he got back and he's screaming and shouting profanities i have no idea what she did the guy chased her down in his car he was after her because of whatever she did on the highway In Meriden, just a week or so ago, there was a similar road rage incident. I don't know what the cause of it was, but what happened, somebody got so mad, he either got cut off or something like that, he pulled out a gun and shot and killed the guy in the other car over something like that. Isn't it amazing how we magnify those things? And then we justify the way we are. Jesus was not saying that that was wrong against you doesn't matter. It was a big deal. It was 100 pence. In our terminology, that was over $11,000. That was a big debt. But he said, your dealings with people that do that, that do you wrong, need to be based on how did God deal with you. You have to forgive one thing. Or maybe it's been done seven times. Or maybe you're keeping score and you're up to the 430 mark and You're shooting closer to 490. He said, would you remember that you have nothing left on your record with God? And he said, and that's the way you're supposed to be. In the servant on the mount, the Savior said, be ye therefore merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. We know that the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 432, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, just like the Lord was with the first servant. He had compassion on him. Uh, uh, tenderhearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you Colossians teaches us forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye forgiveness so I don't know why it's our human fallen nature and I cannot speak for you I'll speak for myself Sometimes forgiveness is very hard to find. Just because it's hard, though, doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to do it. The grace of God is sufficient to enable me. I'm going to read something to you. Please bear with me because I I want to read the words of the individual that wrote it. Corey ten Boom, a name maybe many of you recognize. Her and her family lived in Holland during World War II. Holland was occupied by the Nazis, and her and her father and her older sister, Betsy, they built a room in one of the bedrooms. They called it the hiding place where they actually hid Jewish people from the Nazi authorities till they could try to get them out uh, of the country to a, a neutral uh, place where they could try to be safe and so forth. Well, they got caught doing that. Amazingly, they did not, they did not find the Jews that were in the hiding place, but they caught Corey, her sister, Betsy. And her father, and they were sent to a concentration camp known as Ravensbrook. While there, both her father and her sister perished. Her sister, she found out that she perished because she saw her body stacked like cordwood, emaciated and naked, ready to be tossed into a furnace. And that was the last she saw of her sister. Obviously. Corey survived that Holocaust. She went to Germany, of all places, after the war to proclaim a message nobody expected to come from a victim of the Holocaust. It was a message of forgiveness for the German people. She said, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where my forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps in silence left the room and that's when i saw him working his way forward against the others one moment i saw the overcoat and the brown hat but the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. The leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. All $2,250,000,000 worth. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, and again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy and died in that place, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, surely I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being being bringing tears to my eyes i forgive you brother i cried with all my heart for a long moment we grasp each other's hand the former guard and the former prisoner i had never known god's love so intensely as i did then the greatness of forgiveness if you have not yet received the forgiveness of God by being born again into the family of God, by being saved, there will be no better time, no better place for you to do that than right here and right now. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm all for church membership. I'm all for baptism. I'm all for turning over a new leaf. None of those things get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can save us from our sin. That's what he died on the cross for. You have to receive that as you would receive a gift of any kind, a gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you've received that, don't forget what God gave you when you did. Your sins are gone, all of them. And there are times we just need to bow before the love of God and say, "I, I can't understand why you did it, but thank you for saving somebody like me." Thank you, Almighty God. And then we flip the coin over. Who is it you're mad at? Who is it you I will not forgive? I didn't say cannot. Will not forgive. Have they harmed you as deeply as that guard did to Corey ten Boom? It's amazing, she said, when... God gave her the grace to forgive from the heart. She said, I have never known the love of God as intensely as at that moment. Do you realize that she'd already been forgiven by God, but she discovered the power of the other side of being a forgiver? Can we bow for prayer this morning?